0: We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're going to do something called Storyteller Sunday, and so uh, to actually to start that off, I want to tell a story of my own. Uh, this is a story of it actually happened last uh, in the spring, and it was during the springtime, and a. Uh, One of the things, I'm kind of at heart, I'm a creative, I'm a dreamer, I'm a director. And so one of the things I'm involved in is this uh, production called The Thorn. And so we had The Thorn going on actually up in Dallas. And so I had to get up there on this particular day because I was gonna be directing it. If you don't know what it is, it's this big kind of Easter production. It has a couple of hundred people. And it's my job to kind of take these people and direct them and make it happen. And so without me, uh, they're kind of lost and not sure what's happening. So I was like, okay, I've got to get up to Dallas. Well, what what happened on that day is we were uh, doing a staff retreat, and so we had uh, actually gone down to Port Aransas, uh, which. Texas has beaches. I didn't know that. And so uh, there were beaches in Texas. It was great. Went down there and then came back up. And so I was like, okay, I didn't really know where it was, but I had the address on my phone. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to follow my map on my phone and uh, get up to Dallas and I should be good to go. And so I was actually in Pastor Ross's car. And then it's time to go. And uh, everyone had left the car. And Pastor Ross kind of sees me looking under the seat. And so I'm kind of looking under the seat, that sort of stuff. He's like, Rob? I was like, yes, sir. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I can't find my phone. And so he's like, he's like, okay. So all of a sudden, the whole staff is like looking in Pastor Ross's car, underneath stuff, stuff in their hand between seats, like helping me look for my phone. We look all through the car. We cannot find it. And he's like, Rob, I know what happened. And I said, what? And he's like, you left it at Bucky's. And so I was like, no. <laughs> uh, it would be easy for me to do because it was actually my first Bucky's experience. Have you been to Bucky's before? <laughs> Oh my goodness, like only in Texas could something like Bucky's exist. It's like you take HEB and Walmart and all the gas stations on the planet and put them in a blender and Bucky's is there. <laughs> and so he's like, Rob, you were so starstruck at Bucky's that you left your phone there. And I was like, No, I didn't leave my phone at Bucky's, I promise. He's like, that's where you left it. I was like, No, and so I was, finally I was like, Okay, well I just gotta go. So remember there's a couple of hundred people that are gonna be lost without me. So I'm there, I'm like, I'm just jumping in the car and going. And you know what? We don't know how to do in 2017. We don't know how to get anywhere without our phones. It's have you? When was the last time you opened a paper map? Like when did that happen? And so I'm used to like turn by turn directions, but I'm just driving up and I felt like Columbus. So I was just like, okay, I'm there. I'm going. Like I'm going in the abyss. My car might fall off the edge of the earth. So I don't know what's going to happen. This is so intense. So I was driving up to Dallas, and so I was like, okay, when I get close, I'll figure it out. And then. I'm there all of a sudden and I hear this boom and then and I'm there in the middle like there's this part there's like Austin which is beautiful Dallas which is this metropolis and there's like this 20 mile radius where even Texans are like we won't go we won't settle this place this place is too scary for us and so in that 20 mile radius that's where my tire blew out and so I'm there without a phone, all by myself, the edge of the road. And so I was like, oh man, what do I do? Like, what do people do when they don't have phones? We're so dependent on these things. And so I went, and all of a sudden I was there, and I was like, okay, I'm going to... um, I'm going to change the tire. I'm a grown-up. I can do this. And so I go. I'm I'm there. I'm kind of like jacking up the car. I get the tire. I kind of put it on. I'm so proud of myself. I was like, all right, I still got time. I'm going to hit it. And so I was there. I let the car down, and then, boom, the tire is flat. (laughs) (laughs) And so finally, I was like... All right, I give up. I had to like wave my hand like it was 1973. I had to wave my hand like this until a car actually came and helped me. And then uh, I got in touch with the tow driver and he took me back into town and I missed it. Uh, got up there the next day. Everything was great. We, we did some practices, did a great show up there. And it was three days later, three days later, Amy Parsley was parking her car in the driveway and she heard a gunk gunk gunk. And she's like, what is that? She looks up on the roof of her car, and there is my phone. For three days, she had been driving the van around, and my phone was on the roof of the car. It stayed there (laughs) and was unscratched, and that is a miracle. (laughs) true story. I could not believe that happened. And so... I think there are stories all the time that um, some of them are lighthearted, some of them are much more intense and epic, but I think there are stories all the time that point to God's goodness. And so, what I want to do actually is real quick I want to take a quick survey and I'm going to ask you all to be brave. Okay, so I'm going to ask you all to be brave and raise your hand. What if right now I called upon you and said, can you tell me the story of the prodigal son? Can you tell me, it doesn't have to be perfect, but can you tell me the story of the prodigal son? Raise your hand if you're like, Rob, I could tell you that story. Raise it high, raise it high. All right, look all around. That's probably 60% of us, okay? Prodigal son is one of Jesus's most famous stories. It's one of his most well-known stories. The Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes is one of his most famous passage. Where it's been, it's been printed. It's been uh, put on court walls. It's put on murals in our houses. The Beat- Beatitudes. So I want to ask you this: Raise your hand if you could tell me from memory the Beatitudes. Raise your hand. Like ten of twelve. Okay, I see like four hands. Okay. <laughs> I see see four hands. And so I ask you, why? Is it because some of you have really, really studied and like, I'm going to memorize the story of the prodigal son and I'm not really going to memorize the Beatitudes? Is that why this is? No. It's because as humans, we are hardwired to understand the world through stories. It's like in our DNA. It's in our makeup. It's in the way that we're created. We're hardwired to understand how the world works and how God works through stories. It's what we're told in uh, bigs and littles and tinies all around uh, in this movie theater right now. Our kids are being told these stories of God and his goodness because even from infancy, that's kind of how we understand who God is and how he works in our lives. So we're going to tell some stories today. We're actually going to invite some people from One Chapel Kyle to get up and uh, tell some stories. And before they do that, I want to kind of frame this for you a little bit. Psalm seventy-one fifteen says this, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With their mighty deeds, the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from your youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So the psalmist is there, like you have taught me something, and I'm going to proclaim of what you did, of the deeds, the things that you did in my life. And there are three reasons. That I think three primary reasons that I think it is good for us to tell our stories, to share our stories. Reason number one is, like the psalmist says, our stories let us articulate what God has done in our lives. Talking about God with someone who uh, doesn't come to church normally, who's unchurched, who may even be skeptical towards God, can be a very difficult conversation to have. And a lot of times what we try to do is we try to bring in apologetics or we try to bring in arguments or we try to bring in theological proofs and things can get tripped up and things can go wrong and things can go haywire. I think uh, the book of John uh, shows us a better way. In John 9.9, 9, uh, there's a story. And this is a story of a really famous story. Pastor Brent referenced it a couple of weeks ago. But this is the story of the blind man who had mud on his eyes. And then he went and actually washed it off. And when he washed off that mud, he was healed. It was an incredible miracle. But what's interesting is not just the miracle, but what happened in the aftermath of his story. John 9.9, 9, starting uh, 9, at verse 9. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was. Others says, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then are your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. And I think I want to pause right here because I think when something amazing happens in our lives, we know it happened, but a lot of times other people looking around are like, no, that amazing thing didn't happen to you. You're still that same person. You're still going to fail in your job. Your marriage isn't going to work. You're still an addict. I know who you are. And I think part of the reason that it's so important for us to tell these stories is to say other people are going to whisper about us. Have you ever had that happen before? Ever had something happen in your life and people are whispering, whispering in the back rooms and you're like, I don't know, it feels so vulnerable. I think when that happens, we have to be reminded of who we are and what God did in our life. And John 9 tells this incredibly. I want to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, after, after this happens, the Pharisees actually hear about this story and they're going to go and they're going to corner this young man and they're going to find out what really happened. They're angry, they're frustrated, they're like, uh, Jesus is committing blasphemy. So they went, they started questioning the blind man. Uh, John nine seventeen says this. Then they turned to him again, the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe he had been blind and received sight until, the blind man's, uh, until they sent for the blind man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone that acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why the parents said he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. It's important to realize that stories, they don't invite arguments. Stories kind of squelch arguments and invite someone into it. I'm like, listen, I don't know all these things. There are things that I don't understand, but what I can tell you is my experience. And I look at all of you out here and I know different ones of you have an experience with God. And it may be questions and things and trials come up against you, and you're like, I can't explain all that, but let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Yeah. And as we tell that, it does something amazing as we articulate it for ourselves. I think uh, I love screenwriting, I love film, and uh, the way that I look at stories is one of my professors said, you know, when we, a lot of times, and I think this happens a lot in 2017, we're preaching at each other. We say, Uh, He said, when we say thou shalt not, we speak to the head. When we say once upon a time, we speak to the heart. And I believe as the church, I believe I'm called to this. We have to stop speaking to people's heads and start speaking to people's hearts. Because I think all of us here, or most of us here, we're here because God did something here. It starts in our hearts. Mind, intellectualism, reading theology, I love that stuff. I'm passionate about it. But life change often happens because of those desperate moments, those moments of the heart. So I think we have to start with telling our stories there. Another thing that happens is our stories help us look for God at work. They help us see other things. Have you ever bought a car? Like I, I uh, a couple of years ago, bought a blue minivan we were looking at different colors and it was kind of this cool blue and I was like oh okay this is I'm going to drive a minivan but it's kind of a different color for a minivan you see a lot of like taupes or beiges or whites or uh, mauve or I don't know think of all the colors but I was like this is like a really unique minivan so I felt proud I was like I was like "I, I did I did good I'm styling in a minivan I was lying to myself but I was like I'm styling in a minivan and I swear, we, we got it, and I felt great about it. I pulled up to a stoplight, and then two minivans the exact same color pulled up next to me. And I was like, what happened? All of a sudden, it was just like, I just saw blue minivans everywhere I went, like all around me. They were everywhere. I'd pull in the grocery store. I saw all these cars. Have you ever had that happen? All of a sudden, you get a car, and you see that everywhere? Okay, this is what happens with the story of God. This is what happens. When we start telling God's stories one chapel, when this becomes normal in our church, and we're saying, hey, I want to tell you what God did in my life, all of a sudden, different ones of us start looking, and we start seeing God's hand everywhere in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our marriages, in our businesses. That becomes because we have our story goggles on. The same way I had blue minivan goggles on, and I could see those blue minivans didn't come out of nowhere. They were always there. I just couldn't see them. The same is true with God's story. They're happening right now, one chapel. They're happening all over the place, but you might not be seeing them because you might not be looking for them. Amen. So, for that to change, we have to tell our stories. Third point is this our stories encourage others. Our stories encourage others. Well, a lot of time we think our stories are for ourselves, but like I just said, you know, in that point, we quickly learn that our stories are for each other. I think a lot of times in this world, we can go and we can face trials, we can face struggles and we can say, okay, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you at work? And we're kind of navel gazing. It's just kind of a term of just, we're just kind of like into ourselves. We're looking at ourselves. We're like, God, where are you? And we're looking down this way and we don't realize if we just look up and look at our neighbor, there's an amazing story over here. If we just look up and look at our neighbor over here, there's an amazing story happening over here. Across this church this morning, there are amazing, miraculous stories represented. And so what happens is a lot of times the trick that the devil uses, the enemy uses in our own heads is we feel like I'm alone. I'm the only one going through this. No one can understand this pain. No one can understand this frustration. No one can understand what this really feels like. And when we tell our stories, we say, no, I've been through this too. And we start healing stories of sicknesses of broken marriages, of addiction, we tell those stories of like, no, I've been in those stories, I know what those mean, all of a sudden we don't feel isolated anymore. We feel part of that community. So what we're going to do today, One Chapel, is we're going to have a few storytellers come up and tell us a few different stories. And uh, I've kind of sent an email out to the whole church and uh, got a lot of stories back. And I'm telling you, there's amazing things happening in our church. But I want to invite uh, three different people this morning to come and just tell their stories so that you can be encouraged, so that you can understand. These stories, the theme that we did is down but not out. So the idea is when you're when you're down and feeling alone, feeling against the ropes, but you're like, you know what? There's a second act for me. This isn't the end. And so I want to invite our first storyteller to come on up. He is a friend of mine. He's one of the first people that I met when I uh, came to One Chapel, and he has an amazing story of what God has done in his life. And so One Chapel, would you welcome today's first storyteller, Joel Vegas? Joel, come on up here. Yeah.
1: Hi, uh, nice to see you guys again. <laughs> nice to be up here again. Uh, if I'm talking too fast, forgive me, that's the one chapel coffee going through me, so I'm a little bit wired. But uh, I am going to share the story about when I first met God, the first experience that I have with God. I, I used to be a drunk, you know, that was a big part of my life, that's all I did. I used to cope with it, because I was angry, I was resentful, I hated everybody, and especially hated the man that looked in the mirror. Every morning, and uh, I came to a place, you know, I got tired. It was getting old. I just didn't want to live like that anymore. It was just I hated it, and I, and I wanted change. And I said to my, oh, "This is enough. I'm tired. I don't want this. This can't be a part of me. I need, I need to get rid of this." So I reached out and I sent a letter to uh, two different local churches, and, and this one uh, I reached out to Pastor Ken. And he responded. And then uh, after we met, and I met God after that, you know, I, I, I repented. Soon after, I got baptized. And soon after, uh, I, my life's been different. I'm three-plus years sober, you know, one drink. <laughs> and, uh, and I had not stopped. I, uh, I found a family in one chapel, family they, uh, where I belong. You know, I'm. I have. I make a difference. You know, I. Uh, I'm. I'm important. I matter, and uh, that's that's uh, has been great for my life. And then uh, soon after, I found my wife, serving, serving on a uh, setup terdon. That's where I found her. And then, and then uh, soon after, I went to uh, across the country to China, for a VVS. Uh, I think uh, Pastor Brent has mentioned that. And then uh, when I got back, I uh, enrolled in One Chapel College. And I just preached my first sermon Monday. Woo! Yeah. Monday, so <clears throat> my... Uh, and that's, that's not where it's going to stop, you know. I'm just going to keep rolling, keep going, keep going, keep going. Because I left me behind Amen. when I said yes. And I made it all about him. Amen. You know, and uh, <laughs> I made it where... I want to make a difference, not for me, but for people that struggle with the same thing. So as I as I pursue, I'm moving forward. I'm keep moving forward, and I will keep moving forward. You know, and I want everybody to know Jesus like I, I do. And I know there will be more experiences like the ones I have, the one that I have. But this one is the most effective one that that's changed my life. You know, born and raised from the dead, a new life a whole entire new life. So he's done more for me in three years than I ever did for myself in 37. So that's my story.
0: Thank you, Joel. And now our next storyteller, Misty Parsley. Misty, will you come on up here?
2: Hi, I'm going to sit down. Um, so when I was first asked to uh, tell a story, I, I knew exactly what God wanted me to say. But I struggled with it for a while, because it's um, something that we're currently going through. Uh, so if I get emotional, it's just because it's very real um, to us still. So uh, back in January of this year, um, Zach and I found out that we were unexpectedly expecting. Um, we, were, we had that, oh, crap, what am I going to do with a kid moment? Uh, I don't know how to keep something alive. I can't do this. Um, you know, and eventually, eventually we warmed up to the idea, and we started thinking of names, and whether we wanted a boy or a girl, or I decided no video games. He decided yes, video games. You know, all the important stuff. Um, but about a week after we found out, I started having signs of a miscarriage. Um, oh, sorry. So... Uh, oh, thanks. Um, yes, yeah, so I have si- started having signs of a miscarriage, so I called the doctor, and she said I needed to go to the ER immediately. So, so we went, and after seven hours in the ER, it was confirmed that we lost the baby. Um, sorry. Uh, this is my first time telling this publicly, so um, after that, you know, we just it was just a roller coaster of emotion. We didn't know. We didn't know how to deal with it. We didn't know uh, where to go from this point. And, uh, so, you know, we struggled with it for a long time. But eventually, Zach and the rest of the family, they kind of moved on. But for some reason, I couldn't. I was just stuck. I was in this place of just, ah, oh, I can't do this. I'm broken. My heart is broken. I don't, I'm all alone. Like, Zach didn't really feel about the same way about it just because it didn't happen to him. It wasn't his body and whatever. But... I was just completely isolated and alone. I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do or how to deal with it. And um, I was just struggling through it. And we were living in Tulsa at the time. And so it was, this was April at the time. And we came, uh, we came home to Austin. So we were at one chapel in Austin that Sunday. And it was during communion. And um, I was just praying and worshiping. And, and I just heard God say so clearly, give me your heart. And I was like, what are you talking about, God? You already have my heart. And, he's, and as soon as I said that, I just knew. He just pointed on that spot. I hadn't given God my heart. I haven't given him that pain. I haven't given him that brokenness. I was just taking that burden all on myself. You know, I was tough. I can handle it. I didn't need to bother God with my pain or my issues. Um, so the second he said that to me, and I knew, and so I said, okay, God, you can have it. It's yours. I'm bawling at the time. and And the second I did that, it was amazing. It was like all of that isolation and that uh, just that loneliness and that brokenness went away. I was still in pain. I still hurt over it, but I wasn't alone anymore. And it was just, it was amazing. It was such such a God moment. Um, and then after that, it was a month later uh, in June. I think it was the beginning of June, end of May. Uh, we found out we were pregnant again. So we were so excited, so happy and uh, full of hope. And we just knew that this was this was going to work this time. This was our miracle. This is what this was our gift, and so, uh, gosh, um, so everything was going great. Uh, a week later, again, signs of a miscarriage. So uh, we went to the doctors. June 14th, had our ultrasound. Ultrasound looked great. I was still really sick. Hated everything. Didn't like food at all. Um, it was it was all seemed to be good, and then so we went on with our lives. June 17th, we moved to Austin. Uh, and then it was, we went on our vacation, came back, everything was still good. Um, and then it was July 14th, the day of summer camp. Uh, we went to the doctor, and I was now nine, mo- nine weeks and uh, four days along. Uh, so two and a half, two weeks and a half, two and a half weeks before we were out of the danger zone. And so we went to the doctor, had the ultrasound, and... I saw the ultrasound, and I'm like, oh, that looks a lot like the first ultrasound. Nothing really looked like it had changed. Um, so I, I just knew something was wrong, and then the doctor came in, and she said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have another miscarriage. So it was, oh, man, it was just such a breaking moment for us, and we just we were so broken and so confused, and I was like, God, I gave you my heart. Why are you letting this happen again? This was my miracle. This, is, this was supposed to be it. Uh, I struggled with God for a little bit on that, just, how is this happening again? And then, uh, sorry, we decided to go, um, we decided no matter what the circumstances were, we were going to go to camp, so we went to camp, and uh, it was during the first night, and we were just worshiping, and all I could do was just raise my hands and cry, I couldn't sing, I I couldn't do anything, and after a while, it was every single worship set, I would just break and just cry and I remember crying out to God saying you have to help me with this I can't do this I can't go through that isolation alone I can't go through that pain I can't do it and every single time it would get a little bit lighter and I I could just feel God just wrapping his arms around me I could just feel him there and I realized that that baby wasn't my miracle but my miracle was that God is with me That he's with me no matter what. And, you know, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. It says, even though, even though I walk through the valley, you're with me. Even though I'm broken, even though my heart is broken, he's with me. Even though I don't have a baby, he's with me. And no matter what we go through, he's with us. And I think it's interesting, you know, sometimes we want it it to say, um, I have God now. So there's no more valley. That's what we want. We want, it, we want the easy road. We don't want any pain. We don't want to go through any heartache. But that's not it. The miracle is that God is with us. That he's, he doesn't promise to take away our pain or our issues or, or life. He just promises that he's going to be with us. So that's all.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think... Um... Sometimes there are stories we think, oh, this is it, and then it's supposed to be over, and sometimes it's a long path of walking through it, and so I I appreciate Misty sharing that story because it's a story of like, okay, things are not perfect. Sometimes we're like, okay, God, I want things to be perfect, and then I'll come to you, but God says, no, I want to come to you in your imperfection, in your pain, and walk beside you, and so I love that story for that. Uh, for our final story this morning, uh, would you please welcome the Garcia family? Uh, Johnny Garcia is going to be telling his story. So, and family, so come on up, Garcia family.
3: Good morning, family. Good morning. Good morning. Well, uh, well, uh, my name's Johnny. I'm dad, and this is mom, uh, Naomi Garcia. She's my wife for 29 years. Yes, yes. It gets better and better. Trust me. So Monday, when Pastor Brent, when Pastor Brent sent me a text and said, hey, man, uh, I was wondering if maybe you'd like to share y'all's uh, story about what's been going on with us and uh, Johnny. And I was like, uh, I don't know, you know, you know, you, you whenever you have a child with special needs, you don't really want to get on stage and share everything. And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to pray about it. Let me see what the Lord says. <laughs> a few seconds after that, the Lord said, you need to share your story. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'll do, I'll do what you tell me to do. But, uh, but I was like, Lord, but it isn't my story. It isn't, it isn't it's not Naomi's story. It's Johnny's story, and we as parents are stewards over his life, and so I was like, yes, Johnny's going to share his story, but there's a big but. Johnny's nonverbal. Johnny's never spoken in his life, and I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? He said, nobody knows him better outside of me besides his mama. His mama knows what he's saying. And his mama knows what he's thinking. So mom's going to speak for Johnny.
4: But I need my glasses first. <laughs> That's what happens when you get old. <laughs> okay. Um, I believe this is what our son Johnny would say if he had to come up and share this. and Because and, and, this is his story. My name is Johnny A. Garcia III. I'm also known as Chico, so if you want, you can call him Chico, it's his nickname. (laughs) And this is my down but not out story. I was born with multiple diagnoses, but my main diagnosis is cerebral palsy. My first home home was the NICU at St. David's Hospital in Austin. I was there for seven weeks. And I made my first Mother's Day card for my mom there. By age four, I began showing signs of having seizures, but I didn't start taking seizure medication until I was seven. I graduated, yay, from high school, uh, Hayes High School in 2016. Um, but. I continue to attend until I'm 22, since I'm a special needs person, which is really nice. However, I'm most proud of being an athlete, like my dad, but I'm an athlete for Special Olympics. About five years ago, something inside me changed in which none of my doctors can even explain. I began having severe seizures that escalated into grand mal seizures. And my swallowing muscles became weak. My neurologist says that it's the worst type of seizure to have, and I agree. So I now have a VNS. It's a vagal nerve stimulator. It's implanted in my upper left chest. It is set to continuously send an electrical current to my brain every two and a half minutes. Plus, I still have to take anti-seizure medications. Then I begin having recurrent aspiration pneumonia. I went to Dell Children's Hospital so much, all the doctors and nurses knew me as Johnny G, the guy with a rock star name. (laughs) After about my 12th bout with pneumonia in less than two years, the ICU head doctor said I had no choice but to receive a G button, which means that I can no longer eat or drink anything by mouth because I will choke. And just like that, my love affair with Oreo cookies and popcorn had stopped. However, I still get hospitalized for aspiration pneumonia. I produce excessive saliva, and during a seizure, I can't swallow the pulled buildup of saliva properly. I can also get pneumonia if I have drainage from seasonal allergies or a cold, which brings me to this past January. I was hospitalized at Dell Children's Hospital from January 15th through the 26th, 2017. Yep, aspiration pneumonia from a seizure. While this wasn't our first rodeo there, I didn't expect to be there for so long. My parents had gotten to be experts at all this and usually catch the pneumonia right at the beginning. But with high fever and coughing, I aspirated from reflexing my last bolus feed and caused the pneumonia to get worse on the third day of my hospital stay. I had high fever for eight days. The antibiotics were not working fast enough. Respiratory therapy every three hours struggled to open airway pockets. And with fluid building around both lungs, I was scheduled for surgery to have quarter-sized tubes sticking out of my sides for three to four days to drain and alleviate pressure off my lungs. Now, when I'm not sick, surgery is risky because I can aspirate. But being really sick already put my parents in a position to legally have orders signed and in place for a gentle goodbye. We had only been a part of one Chapel Kyle for about eight months, but had already jumped in and began to have relationships with several people and gotten involved in a few weekly groups. Thank you all for the groups. I slept most of my hospital stay, but I was praying for you. I remember hearing my parents talk about how big and faithful our God is. While while they prayed daily for me, Mom, Dad, I was praying for you. Because of my disabilities, my family has learned to trust in God. So no matter how dark and hopeless it all looked, this time, God had already met us at the beginning. He has held us in the middle. And he is already waiting for us at the end. Therefore, therefore, whatever the outcome, we would praise him. Several of our One Chapel Kyle family called or texted my parents daily, checking on my progress, giving encouraging words, and even a few songs were texted to them. Thank you. You didn't see the tears of being loved on my parents shed as they read out loud the texts or shared the conversations they had from you all. You didn't see the strength they received from the visits or meals or coffee brought to them. But I did. One Chapel Kyle was being Jesus to me and my family. And just like God, he had the head ICU doctor cancel the surgery. It didn't make sense, especially to my mom. But the doctor said he had a new idea to try. It was a sealed, full-face oxygen mask. They call it the Jason mask, (laughs) and I was the very first one to ever use it there. My mom got a text the next morning at 11 while church was going on. She read it out loud to us. It stated that Team One had prayed for us that morning. Four minutes later, the same person texted that during the service, one Chapel Kyle stopped just to pray for me. By that evening, I woke up and was alert, and my respiratory therapist began to hear open airway in my lungs. From then on, I improved daily. I was later told that you prayed for my healing of pneumonia, but that's not all y'all prayed for. You also prayed against the seizures that I've been battling for most of my life. While I still struggle with seizures, they have been reduced significantly. Some days, I don't even have any. And it used to be that without fail, I would be hospitalized every three months for aspiration pneumonia. Today, I've been hospital free for seven full months. (laughs) I still need your prayers, though. Many issues continue to affect my quality of life. But I can honestly say that I've known what it is to be down as I've struggled throughout my life. But with the hope that Jesus gives me, I'm not out.
0: Amen. If you're... New to One Chapel, Kyle, or your, this your first Sunday, this is kind of an unusual Sunday to be here, but I think it's an incredible Sunday to be here because you're, you're seeing firsthand that you're walking into the middle of a story, and this is a story we've been walking with the Garcias as they've been going, and Johnny Jr. has been there, and the prayers, the faithfulness, a lot of times we wonder if that stuff matters, but it does. It makes such a difference, those prayers, those texts, those kindness. And so I want this story and all these stories to be an encouragement of not living life alone, but really being in community and sharing our stories with each other.